movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 308 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Boneyard episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that uh, the Boneyard, it's a United States Air Force aircraft and missile storage and maintenance facility in Tucson, Arizona, part of the Aerospace Maintenance and Regeneration Group, the AMARG, AMARG. This particular division where you have the famous graveyard of airplanes is the 309th 308 that's right and with that wonderful little bit of boneyard knowledge i of course am matt and coming to us all the way from sunny california would be our resident sony employee wake up every morning with matt and tim on the boneyard seattle's best (laughs) classic rock rock station 88.5 fm the boneyard tim it's the Boneyard. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday at the Kingdom. <laughs> Watch Gravedigger take on the Boneyard. <laughs> Kids just fighting. 1997. Bucks. Mankind through. <laughs> Did you just say Mankind? No, no, no. Mankind. I was going to say Mankind through the Undertaker, but it was Undertaker through Mankind off top of a hell of a cell. Oh, I have oh, no idea. I that was actually a thing that. that they said when they introduced. That great, oh yeah, because it was one. It was like the one of the defining moments of the '90s for then WWF, now WWE, where they did a Hell in a Cell match, and Undertaker and Mankind, Mick Foley, because Foley is God, get together and they're doing their Hell in a Cell match, and they end up on top of the Hell in a Cell, so they're on top of the cage, so they're thirty feet up in the air, and. Undertaker does a body slam for Foley, and he goes through the cage down. It's crazy. I've never been a big wrestling fan, and I've gone to monster truck rallies and the supercrosses there uh, at the Astrodome, back when the Astrodome used to host the Monster Jam whatever shows. And I've kind of noticed during this little discussion here, off-topic, off-movie topic discussion, that you can really... I mean, wrestling names and monster truck names are interchangeable. Like you're talking about the Undertaker, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking that was a uh, that was a monster truck. Gravedigger could be a wrestler. Uh, the Rock could be a monster truck as well. Same thing with Bigfoot. Bigfoot sure. could have been a wrestler. That's right. I mean, they they had a wrestler called the Big Show, and you could certainly have a truck, a monster truck called the Big Show. You could have a you could have a, a monster truck called Triple H. There's certainly any number of monikers that you could have that could go either way. Advance Auto Parts Grinder could also be a wrestling name. Grinder, sure. As well as Bustin' Loose, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> oh, how how are you doing, Matthew? It's been a it's been a while since we've spoken to one another. It's been a little over a week. It has, yes, due to family visits and whatnot. Uh, yeah, so here we record on the 5th of December. Remember, remember the 5th of December. That's not actually how it goes, but whatever. Uh, I am actually pretty nervous. I have got one more final tomorrow, and it's the most important final. And I am trying to maneuver it so that I can go to the 9.30 a.m. version of this final, but it is... Uh, an hour away so i don't know if i'm going to get to do that one or if i'll have to go to the noon version because this particular professor teaches the exact same class twice in a row so he has offered the earlier class hey if you all want to sleep in and join the later class go ahead and the same for us hey if you guys want to get up and get it out of the way come to the early version doesn't matter to me so we'll see it's just you know, I've done all my other finals. I've done all my other papers. Everything's done. It all comes down to this one thing tomorrow. And I, you know, it's the hardest stuff. And uh, yeah, so I'm just kind of kind of not with it right now. But we're going to we're going to roll through. Tim was gracious enough. He was like, so listen, I've got some family coming into town. I need to see if we can kind of move some things around. And I knew what I had going on. 
And I told him, yeah, sure, let's do it. It's just fine. Hey, we'll do it on Wednesday night. It's cool. It's cool. And then we get here, and I'm like, oh, my God, what the fuck did I do? And uh, that's that's where we're at right now. So <laughs> I planned it all along. It's I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm planning on you failing so you can just keep staying in school for the next five years. <sighs> no, no. If, if worse comes to absolute worse and I somehow don't get a C in this class, which I currently have a B high b low a in the class but um the problem is is that everything factors into the final so if i were to not do the final i have a a d in the class and i need to get to a c in the class otherwise i can't qualify for my degree so i i need to at least get a c on the test in order to get a c in the class but um and and i'm confident ish that i can do that but it's still it's nerve-wracking and uh, if I were to not somehow do that, I would literally just withdraw the double major and immediately graduate. I don't care. So, um, but hopefully we're not going to do that because I need to do some other things. <laughs> That's the spirit. Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> well, I mean, on that note, should we just move on into our first segment? We shall. It's the new. No, it's the movies, right? Yeah, I, we should probably do movies. <laughs> okay, folks. We got a lot to talk about with these movies. We want to make sure that we get the content for the movies in. And because of that, we're kind of doing it backwards this time. We're going to start with movies, and then if there's time, we're going to go to news. And that's how this is going to work this time. And here we go, folks. It's the movie. <laughs> So this week, uh, because of a weird situation of pulling movies scenario, neither one of us got to see A Private War. And so the movies for this week are Ralph Breaks the Internet, Creed 2, and Green Book. So, Tim, where are we starting? What was your least favorite of these three? Oh, hang on. Or which was your least favorite? Probably Ralph Breaks the Internet. Then let's start there. All right. It's time to break the internet, people. Three, two, one, go! One second, I'm having the time of my life. Stop. The next thing I know, my game is just... Kim! Gone. Oh no, I'm freaking out hard. If I'm not a racer, what am I? Oh, you're my best friend. All we gotta do is find a part to fix your game. Everything goes back to the way it was. But where are we gonna find that? The internet! What? Sassy housewives want to meet you. They do. Want to get rich playing video games? Slaughter race. It's wicked dangerous. Yep, I'm out of that car. It was a one, but it was an old. Oh, nice kitty. Nice kitty. Attention to detail is pretty impressive. Well, well, well. Who are you? I think we should get out of here. Showtime. Let's race. Come and get it. Get back on the track. Who knew there's so many babies and cats in the world? Ha, that is what the internet was made for! It's full of weirdos. I want this to be my life. I don't think I could ever tell Ralph. There's no law saying best friends have to have the same dreams. This is what's called the dark net. Are you sure this is safe? Just whatever you do, do not look at his little brother. Oh, his little brother? What are you doing here? <clears throat> the reason I came to your neck of the face. I mean, there's a face in your neck. I mean, woods. Neck of the woods. All right. Got a 2018 American uh, musical 3D computer animated comedy film directed by Rich Moore and Phil Johnston. And, of course, it stars John C. Riley and Sarah Silverman. We've also got Gal Gadot in there and Taraji P. Henson and Jack McBrayer and Jane Lynch and Alan Tudyk and Alfred Molina and Ed O'Neill as well. 
What we have here is a pickup where we left off thing. Wreck-It Ralph and Vanellope are best friends, and they've been spending every night together as buddies hanging out after the arcade closes and just kind of enjoying life. Vanellope's kind of getting a little bored with the mundacity of it all, and Ralph just can't believe his continued good fortune that he has his best friend. The... Some things go awry when Ralph tries to help Vanellope uh, with her monotony and her machine breaks down and the only way for them to fix her machine is to get a part off eBay and this results in them working their way toward the internet. Shenanigans ensue and yeehaw. So here's what's up with this movie, guys. Now, look, I I think that the movie at its core is still good. I think that they tried to move the bar in fun and creative ways. I think that they definitely used some self-aware humor in terms of what it is that Disney does with their conglomeration. I think that they had a lot of fun with bringing the old and the new together, helping us connect with the retro style of things from today's perspective. I think that they also structured a very nice buddy sequel that allows, that allows everyone to grow. And yet at the same time, I feel like they totally missed the mark on a lot of the beats of the story that should truly mean something. And that, and I guess, you know, they, they kind of had to do that to fill time because if they just did it based on them trying to grow as characters without a solid B plot and to some small extent a C plot, then Okay, but did they have to really make it a musical? And and it's really only one musical number. But in a movie like this, it is absolutely one musical number too many. And it just completely broke up the flow of the film. I am also not exceptionally pleased with how they resolve the major conflict of the film in terms of growing Ralph and Vanellope's relationship. I felt that it's okay to do this kind of a story, but even though it's been done before, but the quality of the writing is there that they could have done it in a, in a stronger way. And so I don't know. And the whole princess's angle, like, I thought it was kind of going to be played for fun. I'm glad that at least it expanded more because I got sucked in by accident to a trailer that was spoiled, so I knew that there was a princess angle to it. And so I'm glad that in on one side that they kind of expanded it a little bit just so that you can not have a joke spoiled in the in the trailer. But on the same angle it wasn't it still wasn't written as well as it could have been and what's worse what's worse is that they may make an actual ralph princess movie combo now and i i really don't want to see that i'm sorry i i i get that they kind of have a moment in the movie where they turn some paradigms on their head. But I think they could have done that without the Disney princesses on the whole. I think they could have done that with Vanellope in a better way. So, so I don't know where I land on this 100%. For the record, I actually went back and listened to the original segment back in... 2012 that we covered the original Wreck-It Ralph on and 
we we weren't too overly thrilled with Wreck-It Ralph back then. It has since grown on me. I couldn't believe that we we all just kind of landed on and it, it was okay. We didn't actually give it a number rating, which I thought was weird. But so we're, I'm calling it a two and a half across the board from the original Wreck-It Ralph. But it grew. It has grown on me. It has legitimately grown on me over the years, and I couldn't believe I'd given it. You know, I didn't like it as much back then. So that's weird. But um, this one, I am struggling, guys. I'm struggling between a two point seven five and a three. So I, you know, I, I, I I'm gonna give it a three. I'm gonna go ahead and give it a three. I think there's enough there to like it, and if the original grew on me that much over the intervening six years, then I think I'll be able to better appreciate the the things that are definitely likable about this film as I rewatch it going forward. So, R- Ralph breaks the internet. Three. What do you got there, Tim? I was not a big fan at all, really, of Wreck-It Ralph, the first film. And I'm actually surprised we reviewed that about six years ago. I had no idea that it came out back in 2012. I thought it was like... Episode 10. Yeah. Episode 10 of the reboot. Yes. Just for whatever that's Yeah, and now we're on episode 308. Almost 300 episodes since uh, since we reviewed the first Wreck-It Ralph movie. And I wasn't super excited to go see Ralph Breaks the Internet. (laughs) Awesome. I just realized, I'm so sorry, Tim, I just realized I fucked up the intro. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did, I did 309. Oh, you did, really? <laughs> I did. Oh, that's awesome. hilarious. So yeah, so it's been a while since I saw Wreck-It Ralph. I haven't seen it since then. I didn't care for the film. Some of the main issues that I had with Wreck-It Ralph was that I thought it was playing too much towards the nostalgic factor. Oh, Mario. Oh, video games. We've all wanted to see a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. We've all wanted to see Mario in a movie. Oh, but how about seeing Sonic the Hedgehog, Mario, and all these other characters from video games all in one movie? Older games, newer games. Halo is in there, or a Halo-type game is in there. A Candy Crush-type game is in there. Man, people are going to love this, and people got all up in a tizzy because they, they just loved They peed their pants when they saw all their favorite games matched up into this into this film. And so you had a very, I thought, generic film where you had all these characters trying to accomplish something and they just kind of go through the motions. You know, once they go into a new video game, a new world, it just got stale pretty quick. There was nothing super fresh or funny about it. They just relied too much on pop culture and nostalgia. That is why I gave it a a 2 or 2.5, whatever, Matt, you you came up with when you went back and uh, re-listened that episode. I didn't even go back and re-listen to that episode because I know for a fact I didn't care for the first Wreck-It Ralph film. Needless to say, I wasn't super excited for Ralph Breaks the Internet. But I am so glad I actually went to go see this film. Now, I'm going to throw it out there. I might have gotten a little high before seeing the movie. I might have uh, took a couple little tokes before going to the theater. And I don't know if that enhanced the film or not, but I still... I, I don't know, guys. I just got a kick out of it. I thought that it was a very entertaining animated flick. Unlike Wreck-It Ralph, it didn't feel as if it's forcing that gimmick onto the audience. You know, it's a bright, colorful, and genuinely funny flick. I mean, the gags, and there were a lot of visual gags in this film, that they were more thought out. You know, it wasn't just a visual gag of, oh, Sonic reacting this way to Mario or whatever the hell they would play around with in the first film. It wasn't just that. It was actually legitimately good, funny stuff that you would have saw in 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 an earlier Disney Pixar film from the 90s or late 90s or so. Uh it was just genuinely funny again. The jokes worked and the drama though it was nothing new, it worked for its intended purpose. I do again really appreciate the lack of overplayed pop culture references and it did rely on that genuine 
smartness and and I guess the welcoming observances. You know, what I mean by welcoming observances is say like in Ralph Breaks the Internet when Ralph and um not Sarah Silverman, I can't think of her name right now, when they go into not Fortnite or not Grand Theft Auto, Ralph is very is kind of a skittish kind of character. You know, he's kind of a frightened kind of character. He's more of like a child in a way. Just how he kind of reacts to all that stuff is how one not used to playing a Grand Theft Auto game or Fortnite game, that's how they would probably probably react to that world. You know, and especially since he came from a game from like the 80s or so where you're not used to that depth in your video games, I should say. So I appreciate all the visual observances, and I thought the movie was smartly directed. Now, was it smartly written? And that's, I think, where the movie falters. I mean, again, the dramatic elements, we've seen it all before. But how the movie was, I thought, conceived, put together, and produced, top-notch. And it makes for an excellent film for both kids and adults and i don't think there were any kids at the the screening i saw granted i saw it like at 9 30 at night on a tuesday (laughs) you know but you know everybody seemed to enjoy the film and i didn't take issue at all with the whole princess thing i really liked how they incorporated it into the movie i was a little bit worried about it going into it and then the song that not sarah silverman sings in the film I thought was actually catchy, and it was well-produced itself. I just liked how everything progresses from beginning to end, character-wise, story-wise, gag-wise. And it was kind of a relief, to me at least, that they don't just introduce the Disney princesses for, like, a gag or a gimmick, and then they're just there for a minute and that's it. No, they're there to support not Sarah Silverman, (laughs) and to help her grow as a character and to help her realize either directly or indirectly. And again, there's great gags pertaining to all the different personalities of of each of the princesses. Uh, And I'm not a big fan of the movie Brave, but I like the gag that they used with the brave princess in her thick Scottish brogue. I originally wanted to give Ralph Breaks the Internet a 4.5 out of 5, but... After thinking about it for a while, I'm going to land on a 4, and especially after seeing Creed 2, I didn't want to give it the same rating. So, 4 out of 5 for me. Right on. Okay, well then, where do you want to move from here, sir? How about Green Book? Let's do it, folks. Green Book. Yeah, some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? Public relations. Do you foresee any issues in working for a black man? You and the Deep South? There's gonna be problems. Promise me you're gonna write me a letter. No problems. Tell me that don't smell good. I've never had fried chicken in my life. You people love the fried chicken. You have a very narrow assessment of me, Tony. Yeah, right? I'm good. We'll be interacting with some of the wealthiest people in the country. It is my feeling that your addiction Oof. could use some finessing. but Why you breaking my balls? Because you can do better, Mr. Balalonga. Dear Dolores. I saw Dr. Shirley play the piano. He's like a genius, I think. Come on, take it easy. I prefer not to get grease on my blanket. Ooh, I'm gonna get grease on my blanket. This gentleman says that I'm not permitted to dine here. I'm afraid not. How does he smile and shake their hands like that? Because it takes courage to change people's hearts. What are you doing? A letter. May I? Dear Dolores, sometimes you remind me of a house. You know this is pathetic, right? Put this down. The distance between us is breaking my spirit. Falling in love with you was the easiest thing I have ever done. Yes, kiss the kids. That's like clinging a cowbell at the end of Shostakov, which is a seven. That's good. It's perfect, Tony. Come on, get out now. You never win with violence. You only win when you maintain your dignity. You don't know your own people. You, Mr. Big Shot, doing concerts for rich people. So if I'm not black enough, and if I'm not white enough, then tell me, Tony, what am I? Anyone can sound like Beethoven. With your music, what you do, only you can do that. 
All right, 2018 American comedy drama film about a tour in the Deep South in the 1960s by African-American classical and jazz pianist Don Shirley, played by Mahershala Ali and Tony Valonga. Ali. Mahershala? Mahershala. Mahershala. There you go. Mahershala Ali and Tony Valonga, played by Vigo Mortensen. It's Vigo! I have to do that joke every now. Every time now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> an italian american bouncer who served as shirley's driver and bodyguard all right so this is directed by peter fairley and written actually by nick uh Vallonga, brian hayes curie and peter fairley uh, um all right it is what you heard in the uh in the trailer it is encapsulated simply by that i i'm going to tell you now because we may need to get into particular spoilers about the film to really get into it a little bit more up front this movie is absolutely well acted and in terms of crafting everything around the friendship that results between tony and don absolutely spot on and just Pure magic to watch these two work. All right, to watch Viggo Mortensen and uh, Mahershala Ali do their thing. It's very clear why these guys are up for Academy Awards, winning awards all the time. The story itself, though, is is kind of poop dick. So I'm gonna give this one 3.5 out of five. That is actually uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not 3.5. I apologize. 3.75. It's just for me not good enough to get to four. So I'm giving this one a 3.75 out of five. Let me get into... Tim, do you want to go ahead and at least throw your score at it so we can kind of dig in a little bit? Or do you just want to have... Spoiler alert and then have them... No, no, I'm giving it at least a four. Okay, so Green Book is getting at least a four for Tim. All right, so we're we're all in the neighborhood together. Okay, so here's here's what's going on. I, I don't think people really truly understand the point of the Green Book. And I don't really agree with the title of the movie being called Green Book. I don't know. I didn't go into the production notes enough to figure out if maybe it had a working title and they just kind of went with this because why not? I don't know if this is just to kind of increase public awareness that there was such a thing called the Green Book. But um, you're dealing with someone who is both a history and an English major and not to slap my worthless bachelor's degree around just quite yet. Um, I actually studied on in African-American history. I studied on the Green Book, and that was actually one of my major projects for the course. So I may be a little bit more acquainted with what it is, why it is, and how it was used back then than the average theater goer. But this movie literally did not even need to be named Green Book. They could have called it The Tour. They could have called it uh, Don and Tony Take a Trip. Uh, whatever. I mean, there there was, you know, The Pianist and the Driver. Whatever. I mean, you know, I get Driving Miss Daisy was taken. But, hey, how about Driving Mr. Shirley? I Whatever the fuck you want to do, I don't care. It did not need to be called this, because if you're going to call the movie Green Book, then you need to truly make it apparent what the Green Book's function was. And aside from it being alluded to a half a dozen times or less in a two-hour and ten-minute movie, and despite the fact that you could see brief glimpses as to the disparity between uh, white and black in 1962, which is interesting because the 1963 Green Book was like the last year that they did the Green Book because of the Civil Rights Passage, and so much change was already in the air that sundown laws were already being rescinded and things of that nature, and of course sundown law... Um, in and of itself simply means if you're black, you can't be outside of your specific part of town and generally even outside of your house after sundown. Um, 
most of those laws were already being rescinded and ruled unconstitutional and stuff like that. Then, of course, with the Civil Rights Passage in 1964, um, 63, 64, it, there, there wasn't a need for it anymore. So we're, we're really at the tail end of this. So if you're going to have something about being, and that's not to say that this didn't exist. It's not to say that it's somehow less important in the civil rights movement. Don't misunderstand. What I'm getting to is if you're going to have something be that specific and that necessary, theoretically necessary to your plot that you're going to literally name the movie after it, maybe move, maybe tell a different story that can center around the need for travel with the green book and set it, say, 1956, as everything was ridiculously heating up for the civil rights battle that was leading into JFK's presidency and everything like that. Um, especially since one of the major plot points is uh, Tony and Don getting stuck in a jail because of a sundown law, and Don has to call RFK. You see, it's it's that kind of a thing um so there's lots of these issues where they put stuff in the movie that is overtly cliched and completely unnecessary other than just trying to create some form or fashion of um drama with which to move the point move the movie forward and it's basically just turning things that are serious in nature and stuff that needs to be looked at and discussed and boiling it down to a plot device and i think it does a disservice to everything that they're trying to cover in the film um they do and so for example they do things like they try and uh it's it's actually the don shirley trio and so while they, they, they did an effective writing trick to give you, to, to give you an out in terms of not needing to see the full trio, except when necessary in the film, they make the necessity of the trio apparent only when they need something to happen to help teach Tony something. And, these teachable moments, if you will, literally occur twice. And then you see them one other time in the film when they're introduced. And you literally don't see them at any other point in the movie. And it's kind of like, it's a dead giveaway that it's sloppy storytelling. It's, it's sloppy filmmaking at best. I don't know if this was a director, if this was a directorial move, or if this was a, a writing move. And it could have been both because Peter Farrelly directed and was one of the writers of the film. But I'm going to throw this one in Peter Farrelly's lap because it just, it, it smacks of laziness. And that's not something that I think should be prevalent in a movie that you are clearly trying to pull for Oscar caliber. Um, you've also got a supposedly poignant scene where Tony bails Don out of a situation because it turns out that he's gay. Um, he's in a YMCA and he is caught having sex in the showers with a white man. Please remember that Don Shirley is black, hence the need for the driver who can, you know, act as muscle and get him through the South. Um, that is just completely unbelievable and makes something that should be pivotal trivial because there's just no way, no possible way that in the event Don Shirley was gay or bisexual, which is not confirmed in any way, shape, or form, it is loosely alluded to in real life by Frank um, or Tony, as he's called in the movie, Tony Lip. Um, and only through Frank is it ever alluded to. It was never confirmed. And so even if we're going to give benefit of the doubt to Frank, uh, Frank slash Tony here, do you really think in 1962 on this all important tour where he's already going through so much as a black man that he's going to get caught in the showers of what he's even going to risk getting caught in, I, I can't remember if it's Tennessee or Georgia in 1962 having sex with a white man in a public shower? I mean, come on. And 
It is literally, that's not just forced. That's just, it's, it's literally, you know, sad puppy eyes shoved in your face to try and make you feel something. So it's stuff like that for me that just completely takes me out of the movie and just kind of sits there and goes, I, I, I'm kind of done with it. But the salvage portion of this film is 100% in the acting of Vigo and Mahershala. 100%. These guys, it's, I mean, it's literally just like watching a masterclass in acting. I, 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 my first marriage was to a woman, half Italian, half Irish. And I mean, like literally her grandparents, you know, Al Capone was at the grandparents wedding kind of a thing. Right. So deeply Italian at this, at this house. And so watching Tony at work here, watching the family dynamic, I mean, it was like a, it was like a flashback. And I watch, I, I literally forget that it's Vigo after a while. I mean, I just forget. And then Mahershala also, having seen him in so many different roles and watching him, he, I mean, he just nails every single tick, every single thing that a character trait that turns off Mahershala and turns on Don Shirley. It was fantastic. I mean, all the way down to Don Shirley attempting to eat a piece of chicken, uh, fried chicken for the first time. I mean, this stuff is great. It's, it's gold. And it does. It brings the heart out. It's funny to watch and listen to, uh, when it needs to be funny. It's serious when it needs to be serious. It's fantastic in that regard. And that is what makes this film so good. I, I don't say that the movie on the whole is worth Oscar contention, but I would love to see a dual dom, a dual nomination between Vigo and Mahershala for best actor on this. And, and I wouldn't even be able to tell you who could win. So 3.75 out of 5 for me. Go see this movie for the performances of Vigo Mortensen and Mahershala, uh, Mahershala Ali. And then just kind of, just kind of let the story happen. And that's, I guess, all I have to say, which is probably way too much. So <laughs> what do you got there, Tim? From the director of Dumb and Dumber, Kingpin, There's Something About Mary, The Heartbreak Kid, The Three Stooges Movie, Peter Fairley, one of the Fairley brothers, brings you Green Book, a very possible Oscar contender for Best Actor. Yeah, this is a performance movie. Viggo Mortensen get, does a stellar job. As of right now, he's on the top of my list. I think his stomach deserves a supporting Oscar nod as well, although I do think Christian Bell as Dick Cheney and Christian Bell's stomach as Dick Cheney's stomach uh, will be hot on Viggo's tail, I should say, or rectum. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what to say regarding their guts. But it's it's definitely a transformative performance. Mahershala Ali does a standout job portraying Shirley. I don't know too much about Don Shirley, but I went back and listened to some audio excerpts and watched some uh, interviews and some videos on him, and it seemed like Mahershala Ali definitely captured his essence. Uh, I would like to note that Tony Vallelonga's uh, son, who did take part in the writing process of this film, did come out and say that nothing in this film was uh, was made up, that everything actually happened the way it was depicted in the film, and he did receive Don Shirley's blessing to include all this stuff in the movie, with only one stipulation, that the movie be made after Dr. Shirley passed away, which is why the movie came out now, and not before 2013. I just wanted to mention that, just so it was out there. I have a feeling that's not completely the case. However, there's always the possibility that this all did happen, but maybe not to the degree actually depicted in the film. It's a very entertaining film, Green Book is. Again, it's a strictly performance film. It's a well-meaning film, but the story is nothing new. Not necessarily the story between Tony and Don Shirley, but 
all the different aspects and avenues that the film takes. You know, we've seen road movies before. Every single Fairly Brothers movie is technically a road movie. So no surprise here if you knew that Peter Farrelly directed this flick. But when it comes to some of the dramatic elements and friendship building, I mean, parts of this movie, I thought it was going to go down the planes, trains, and automobiles route. Uh, but when it comes to race relations and how people become affected by race at that time, whether they're ignorant white folk or if they are upper class, out of touch African-Americans, we've all seen it before. But... It works to a great degree in favor of this film. I also didn't think that this movie wasn't necessarily overly sanitized. A lot of people are up in arms with this film because they feel that uh, they brushed over a lot of race issues, especially since a lot of the film takes part in the Deep South. They felt that the feeling of dread was not captured while they're driving down these dark roads at night, you know, and, and they never know if there is a lynch mob somewhere or if there's, you know, KKK or just anybody that was there to basically take advantage of the situation, that being that there was an African-American in their territory. So a lot of people were upset that the movie didn't check off all those boxes. They also felt that the movie was a tale of a white savior helping a black man. I get it, and I think to some degree, some of those points are valid. Do they brush over a couple of things? They most definitely do. Uh, they definitely touch on all of these things, but maybe they didn't want to go down the total buzzkill, depressing route. We've seen it before in other flicks, and I get it. People want you to remember. You know, they don't want this type of thing because it still happens now. And I'm talking about the issue with uh, race in America. It definitely happens now. Racism in America, I should say. And that's something that we can't that you shouldn't just kind of touch on and then go to the next gag or the next funny moment of the film because the film is very funny. But I do understand the type of movie that they were wanting to tell. This wasn't a movie about racism. This was a movie about these two men. It was about their friendship. One of them is black, the other one is white. And they're traveling through the incredibly racist Deep South in the early 60s. Now, with that context in mind, I wasn't offended by them just merely brushing over certain aspects of the film because they, I thought, touched on those aspects enough to get their point across without completely muddying the momentum of the flick. It's two hours and ten minutes long. It's entertaining. I thought it was a fun movie to watch because of the performances. I thought it was an interesting story. And there is still great history there. But it's not the straightforward film about racism that I think a lot of people wanted to see. And I think this type of movie is okay. It's okay to have that. I don't really take issue with a movie where racism is the backdrop of the film and that film is entertaining because they, they touch on it. They bring it into the forefront of the picture when they absolutely need to. And... The racism that happens in the movie, that is depicted in the movie that you see within the film, makes the two characters, both Vigo's character and Mahershala Ali's character, grow. It makes them stronger. It makes them better people. They realize what they've got and how they can use it to not only become better people themselves, but maybe to help others. And they'll have a better outlook because the main one of the main themes of this film is... Uh, it takes a lot of work to change other people's hearts. You know, you have to give up things. You have to do things out of the norm to change other people's hearts. And that was Don Shirley going to the Deep South to perform. And he was hoping that these people watching him, maybe something would click. You know, that was, at least in the film, that was Don Shirley's way of thinking. That was his way of doing his part to temper racism in the South. So that's my... Longabouts way of of going about to say that I did enjoy this movie. I can see all the issues that people had with the film, but I don't think that means that this movie did wrong. Again, 
I acknowledge there are some issues with it, but it's a four out of five flick for me. Guys, go see it for the performances. They're phenomenal. All right. Well, then that is going to leave us with Creed 2. If we don't do what we love, then we wouldn't exist. Time, kid. It's like nothing really matters to him right now, including me. You gotta think real hard about this. Do you got people that need you now? I'm taking the fight. Victor Drago, son of Ivan Drago, who infamously killed Apollo Creed, appeared today to issue a challenge to Adonis Creed. Don't do this. I ain't got a choice. That's the same thing your father said, and he died right here in my hands. That kid was raised in hate. It's dangerous. He broke things in me that ain't never been fixed. It ain't worth it. It's not just us anymore, Dave. I want to rewrite history. If you want to fight this man, that's your business. But don't pretend this is about your father. This won't be the end of me. Or you. It can't be, because we're a team. Now you know what you're fighting for. Round after round, you learn more about yourself. And when I stepped in that ring, wasn't all about me all right we got a 2018 american sports drama film this one is of course directed by stephen Capel jr um or capley capley cap capel what uh jr written by jewel taylor and uh sylvester stallone and stars michael b jordan sylvester stallone tessa thompson wood harris felicia Rashad, and dolph lundgren so what we have here is a kind of a combination of Rocky Two, uh, for the first, let's say the first ten minutes is Rocky Two, and then everything else is Rocky Three being remade. And that's why I don't like this movie as much as I like the first one. Oh, I think I, I, what I liked about Creed was that as much as it was a refreshing story updated it felt it felt as much a sequel as a reboot and it was this wonderful hybrid where we got to see rocky's story relived through apollo's son and that is what made creed amazing and so honest and so wonderful but um it's um it felt like they were trying too hard to bring the nostalgia aspect back for you know bringing drago and drago's son and although i mean the 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 um bridget nielsen cameo is fantastic in this film i thought that was great but I I think the movie doesn't really start getting good until probably about the midway point when we see the struggle that Adonis is going through after having lost and uh he's he's expecting his first child and he doesn't he he asks Stallone, he, he asked Rocky, you know, how, how's my child going to be able to look at me? Because he wasn't fighting for the right reasons and he, and, and he lost and he felt like he was only worth something when he could win. And so the movie doesn't really get good until then. And it's about an hour into the movie that that happens. Uh, like Green Book, this movie is two hours and ten minutes long. And so the back half of the movie redeems the first half of the movie. And even though they're still working with the, uh, the Drago angle, 
um, it, it was, it, you know, it was, it was good, uh, this back half, but also I felt like they were kind of shoehorning this kind of small little shift for Drago because of watching what his son is going through. And so, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be all over the place. It just seems like the movie suffers from a little bit too much try hard for the nostalgia. Maybe it's because this is the last time that Sylvester Sloan is playing Rocky. He says he's done. Um, he doesn't die or anything like that. He doesn't go the way of Mick and, and Rocky three, but I, I, I just don't, I don't think this movie had the legs that the first one had because maybe they succumbed to too much pressure to to have that nostalgia. Maybe they were just trying to get everything done and Stallone wanted to be able to kind of walk away in a nice, you know, put a little bow on it and everything. I'm not saying that the third one won't be good. I know there will be a third one. This movie is solid, but it is not as strong. And I think you'll see that especially as it's following the beats in the first half of the film. The second half definitely picks up. It starts finding its own legs. It starts letting Creed really find his own way through, which is different and unique than what Stallone had to do to find his way through to redemption when he was going up against uh, Clever Lang. Um, so, which is a bummer. Maybe I would have liked to have seen Mr. T. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe Clever Lang could have <laughs> come in and been the coach <laughs> in the first half. I don't know. Uh, the ring coach for Creed in the first half. But uh, I give this one a 3.5 out of 5. I, I, I do think it's a decent movie. I do think it's worth watching. But it is not as strong as the first one. And I'm hoping that now that Creed will be on his own, he's got his own legacy uh, to make, and he's got his own way to move forward and do what he needs to do, then we'll get to see some cool stuff from that. So 3.5 out of 5. Bring us home there, Tim. Do you remember what we rated, Creed? I'm trying to find that. Uh, oh, here on. we go. I found um, it. So we both gave the first Creed 4.5s out of 5s okay. across the board. And what what did you give Creed to? Uh, 3.5. 3.5. I'm surprisingly still in line with... The first Creed, I give this one a 4.5 out of 5. I thoroughly enjoyed this flick. And really, the only issue I had with it was the use of the green screen effect. Because every freaking time he goes in to fight, it's all green screen. And it's so obvious. Why is it obvious? Because you see, like, every certain things, especially the edges, the outline of the human beings, is very soft. And so you can tell that it's like the blending just didn't quite work out between the background green screen and them. It just didn't look good. In fact, it was very distracting most of the time. And I think it says a lot about the movie when... I forgot, like, I, the movie brought me in. It lured me in enough to where I was able to look past the crappy green screen effects because the drama was there, the intensity was there, and you were, you were really wanting to root for Adonis Creed. You really wanted him to succeed because if he succeeds, then Rocky succeeds. And you were also feeling for Donna's Creed's fiance, for his girlfriend, Tessa Thompson's character. The relationships between everyone, between the, the core cast, was absolutely wonderful. And I loved how they handled and elevated the drama. You know, everything between what happens between Adonis and, and his and his girlfriend, the drama that stems from that. You know, and then there's the whole inner struggle between if Adonis Adonis should actually fight Drago or Drago, Draco, Malfoy, Drago, whatever, Russian dude, Drago, 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 whatever. That internal conflict, you were there. You know, it's definitely a film. I mean you can't watch this and think, oh wow, these are real people. But it's a kickback, relax, and watch a well-crafted flick. 
Um, you know, with every sports movie, I just can't help but try to predict the outcome. Will the hero team win or will the hero team lose? With this film, I just let it happen. Because I was invested in these characters. And I guess, and in part of being invested with those characters, I was then invested with the fight. You know, I wasn't obsessed with, will he win, will he lose? I just want, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all, because then at the same time with the Drago character, you kind of feel for him. Because his dad's an asshole, and he lives in a country where his mother left the family because his father lost, you know, the fight. And he disrespected his entire country. You know, so there's a lot of very interesting aspects at play in this film that I just couldn't help but to welcome it with relish. So in addition to the green screen effect, I really would have liked to have seen a better scene between Dolph Lundgren and Sylvester Stallone. Having their scene intercut with Michael B. Jordan's scene when he finds out that he's being challenged by Drago was a misstep. Because you know audiences wanted to see Rocky, uh, wanted to see Sylvester Stallone and Dolph Lundgren have that meaty one-on-one inner fight. It would have been so damn satisfying if it played out that way. But it didn't, and when it all comes down to it, it wasn't too big of a deal because it's Michael B. Jordan's movie. It's all about Creed, not about Rocky. But I will say this, more so with this film, I find it a little sad and bittersweet that Sylvester Stallone is hanging up the gloves, putting the gloves into storage, and he will not be returning as Rocky Balboa in Creed 3 apparently. We know that this is Sylvester Stallone, and he is known for going back on things that he has said, and I'm pretty sure he's going to be involved with the script, because why not? He was involved with Creed in Creed 2. He's got to come back from Creed 3, keep the flow a-going, at least for a trilogy. Again, I give it a 4.5 out of 5. Folks, if you're interested, go and check it out. If you're not into boxing movies, you're still going to enjoy this film. It has a lot to offer. So check it out. Okay, well then that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movies are going to be some form or fashion of Minding the Gap, Crime and Punishment, which are available on Hulu if you're into that, Uh, Shirkers, which is available on Netflix, and Boy Erased, which is in the theater. And so I think we have actually burned our time for this week. So no news, no news. But next week we're going to have some fun. We're going to do another double down of Did It Age Well and Was It Worthy. This time we're going to be looking at Schindler's List from 1993 to see if it aged well and find out if it was worthy of its seven Academy Award wins, which were Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Original Score, Best Film Editing, Best Cinematography, and Best Art Direction at the 66th Academy Awards. So I believe we are down to the spiel, are we not, sir? Spiel on! Oh, stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right, would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She gonna catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama didn't raise no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Oh, say Jack, cutting Jack, 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 Right, well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at NickTwit1234. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track on Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you would also. Follow us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio and on the old 
SoundCloud and other podcast directories if you'd like to support the show please head on over to patreon.com and check us out over there so until next week this is Matt saying that thanks to Linda Cardellini I get to say this one of my favorite things to do is not to speak on screen in theater it's different because there's a lot of emphasis on language it's a different medium but that is one of the most wonderful things about film a person can say so much more than their voice can Take care, Cinephiles. We'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.